Welcome to What Have You, featuring Rachel Jankovic and Rebecca Merkel. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Welcome back to What Have You. I'm Rachel Jankovic. I'm Becca Merkel. Here we are, just the two of us, no surprise guests. No. We're not on any no. other podcast. Very standard this week. It's just our own, the big question of why, what, what have you, <laughs> the acronym we didn't mean to make, but that oh, is so appropriate. It took me a while before I, Rachel's going to open hers, yeah. so I'll just open mine People kept too. texting me, or somebody was texting me, like, I was listening to why, and I was like, why? What, <laughs> yeah. what were you there's listening? Wham, there's why. <laughs> <I was>, uh, <laughs> oh, our podcast. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I do feel like there's some poetry there. So I had something that I thought we should talk about. Okay. And I feel like it's just, I mean, the intersection of all Christian living feels to me like this could spring off of this one okay. topic. But a long time ago, quite a long time ago, I don't know how long, we did a an episode that was the PG-13 episode because we were talking about the... Minnesota? No, that was a different one, I think. We were talking about the one which was... The one uh, that we got deleted? No, I think it went out to the world because oh. someone messaged me about it recently. Oh. Uh, it was the one about Christian women telling new brides not to feel like they have to have sex on their wedding I night. Thought, yeah, I thought that that was one of the ones that got lost in the universe. I wonder if it did at first and we redid it. We might have And we redid back. it yeah. more uh, cautiously. Is this continuing <laughs> to be a problem? Is that what you're trying to bring up Well, right now? Yeah, no, yes, but actually it just was making me think about something because I was having a conversation. You know how you have some of those times where multiple conversations about totally different things yeah, happen at converge. one time? Yes. And so that episode came up in a conversation with one person, but then there were just these other life, momentous life issues in other conversations that I was having. Okay. And it just struck me how this is the, this is it. This is the whole heart of, I'm really sorry. I'm <laughs> I can't really even, sorry. I, I can't even describe. I no, I can't. The, to, <laughs> I can't cope with that, Rachel. I have to deal with it. Okay, Beck, Becca's doing gross things because she's trying to clean out I'm some just kind of a, some. It's like soggy, a cash of coins. No, it's a it's a straw wrapper tucked down in a little change compartment that got soggy. I yeah. was fishing. It all out. right, so pardon that. That was interruption. Gross. That was but, gross. And this too might connect to all of Christian <laughs> reality. Soggy well, straw wrappers. This is the thing that I was thinking of. Is I think in that episode we were just talking about. The, I actually don't remember what we were said in that episode, but my, but I know how I feel about this yeah, topic, okay. so I can imagine sure. what we said. But the thing that was interesting to me is in this conversation and in these other conversations, there's so much emphasis on protecting your own little, your own heart and your own emotions. That's like, I don't feel like doing this or I don't feel like taking this Nick and and so in a conversation with this with a woman that I was having it struck me how much I was saying we are really wronging young girls as a Christian culture when we act like everything is supposed to accommodate itself to how you feel in order for it to be right and good and I was thinking about the reality that at some point and this is not to step in and judge 
assorted couples in their private decisions of what may have gotten them to that place. It's just in general, a society that acts like a bride has no obligation to be sexually friendly to a groom, <laughs> like there's no pressure there, is the same society that makes transitions like becoming a new mother so much upheaval for a, a woman. Because instead yeah. of the frank dealing with this is your duty, like you have a duty here that you need to do and you, that there are just multiple different times in life where your Christian duty will feel like jumping off a high dive, like where it feels like a loss of control. I'm sorry though. I feel like that is a, that has to be an obscure pocket of, it's not like our society no. at large no. thinks this. That guy, yes, they do. Yes, they do. This is why. No, because it's not. No. I mean, I, I get it in the broader picture, but nobody acts like the wedding night is maybe or maybe not going to involve anything remotely <laughs> sexual. Nobody acts like that except for, I would think, a weird small pocket of strangely oriented no. Christian women. No, for real, okay. Rachel. Like, there's, okay, this is maybe not... that's probably true, but I actually think it's not as small as you think it is because I think it's actually the acceptance of the world's idea of sex, which is whenever you want to do it, yes, it's of right. Course. Yes. Which means that whenever you don't want to is wrong, whether or not it's your wedding but night. But I'm just saying, even, even the pagans know what the wedding's about. Yes, but the Christians, well, I would argue with that because they're all about getting into bed on the third date and no, then no I I'm not yeah. saying they have it sorted out I'm just saying I can't think of anyone outside weird Bible I think studies. what you mean it's only Christians would be so dumb as to come up with kind this. of <laughs> yeah that's kind of what I mean because but I think it's not just it's not a weird prudery I think it's an acceptance of total debauchery which is to act like this is something that we only do if we think it would make us sure. feel a certain way. It's it's like in service to our own No, it's emotions. Christians being incredible divas about themselves. Yes, but that's, I was just thinking true. how brutal, because, you know, I've had other conversations with new mothers where I have realized that the world, including the Christian world, not just, not just the worldly pagan people, yeah. have so ill-equipped women oh, yeah. to deal with these moments that are major coming of age transitions that will feel emotionally tumultuous. But I think it's because we don't admire it anymore, which means that it also makes the whole thing We even, don't admire motherhood or, yeah. or like, I think we don't admire any kind of self-sacrifice. No, we don't. We basically don't admire anything that's lovely at all, so... <laughs> <laughs> We're like a world, we're the world of people who are foregoing the, like, beautiful, big flower bouquets for one of those little dusty silk flowers with fake dewdrops on it from a, you know, like from one of those, store. yeah, kind of grease, one that gets kind of a greasy dust bunny build up on it. <laughs> and we're like, that's it. This yeah. is the one. Yeah. But no, I think it's true. But I'm just saying that, like, there are... There are cultures, I think, still where motherhood is highly prized. Not in America, but I mean, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I feel like there are places still in the world where becoming a mother is something that you wanted so much. Think of the Old Testament, like, just the difficulty for these, <laughs> some of these women are like this. 
you know, yes. where, where it was like, this is all they wanted. And then now I think if you want to be a mother, that's a little embarrassing. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to be like, if only I could have. You right. Know, you children. know, like, so, so I I'm do sure think. I've said that in here that our friend from the Congo who introduced me to the way some parts of the world view twinning and mm. twins that apparently at their weddings a toast is may you be the mother of twins like oh, wow. i mean it's a thing that, yeah. and that i would introduce myself differently for having had twins like right? you, like you achieved yeah <laughs> which is funny in itself that, no but i just you mean didn't, like, but because we live in a in a society that does not prize it that finds it to be a bit embarrassing and sort of a begrudging like well okay i guess if you want to um, if you're the kind of weirdo then, that thinks having a child is a valuable task. Right, or more than yeah. one child. So then, of course, you're reckoning with becoming a mother, but without any of the feelings that, like, this is a worthwhile and wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and of course, Christians should have that, and I know lots of Christian, you know, churches ha- still have that. But, but I do think that that does add to the drama of... Well, it adds to this horrible slurry of things that is, uh, that is like, it's like you have your emotions that you feel like somehow have to align with what you're being obligated to do. Mm-hmm. And that it, we're like so badly equipping our daughters to just be faithful through all yeah. these major transitions. And, and it is an interesting thing though, because I was thinking about no matter how much you wanted to get say you really are excited that you're getting married and you're completely in love and everything, you're all the way on board mm-hmm. with the whole relationship. You could still be an absolute Twinkie when it comes to your wedding night deciding, I don't feel good about this. I'm going to lock Just, myself in I the do. bathroom or I'm going to not do this. I'm going to call my best friend and tell her I don't like this idea anymore. I just, maybe this is me being weirdly naive, Rachel, but I, this feels to me like it must be a sparse problem. No, it is not a sparse problem. It is not a sparse problem and I'll tell you why. Because now I'm about to make this the most controversial episode we've ever done. The great evils of women's ministry. This is why it's not a sparse problem. It is actually, maybe it was originally just a little spark somewhere, but I think it's being fanned by women's ministers. You're telling me this is a live and talked about issue that is being promoted by people? Mm Mm-hmm. Where? thousand percent, yes. Where? Becca. Where? You don't get out I don't, I don't. I'll be real. If I see a women's ministry blog post coming, I turn and I run away. I don't, I don't go there. I don't read it. I'm, I'm that not person. Interested. I pick that scab. But, but you're... <laughs> Actually, I don't really this, read a lot of this. This just feels real weird to me. Like... Okay, but don't... But just take my word for it. That all over the world, there are women who have some kind of an emotional problem with their marriage relationship. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they go talk to other women, and other women don't tell them. Here's the thing. Other I, women do not speak in the words of Paul to them. No, they, no, they speak don't. in the words of some other, I feel your pain, I, you should never have to do something you don't well, want to okay, do in that here's moment. Here's the thing. I am, I am, of course, I understand that, yes, there have been plenty of women who've probably been weird about that. I'm just saying, since when has this become a point of activism? That's the part I don't get. Like, this is, since, is this a since, platform? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> since women's ministry type people 
started trying to minister to one another's problems that ought to be rebuked. Oh, well, that's for sure. Right? Like, when when you're for having sure. a sin problem... So, like, I think it's probably old news that that girls might have this sudden pro- squeamishness or something. You know, like, that might suddenly... Sure. that I think that's as old as the hills. What I think is new is the fact that your average Christian woman would not say in counseling that, should have thought of that before yeah. you joined the force. <laughs> or that would never ever just quote scripture no. about it. Or say, you know, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul speaks to this very no. issue. They would sit you know, and pet their hair. And, they would They would say, yeah. we have to grieve with you. We have to <laughs> gather. We have to gather up all of the other women to talk about how your husband has not done right by you by thinking that you ought to have sex with him or whatever it is because because this is the thing that happens then just fast forward a little bit and ask yourself how is how are Christians on the whole dealing with women who get all like I didn't know how hard it would be to be a mother I didn't know that it would feel like this I'm so miserable I'm so whatever it's not with bracing words and like guess what you have duties the thing with that is that, you know, the saying about there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, mm-hmm. I do feel like there are a whole set of things that are going to be hard about becoming a mother, for instance. There are going to be changes. There's going to be, it's going to be a blustery time. But you can either go into it equipped for that, or you can go into it not equipped for it. And I do think that the Christians are making a real point a real concerted effort to say when we encounter the blusters <laughs> it's important that we only be wearing the sort of thinnest the of least, sweaters the least possible we aren't going to have a you know why because we're going to be authentic we're going to be our authentic yeah. selves i actually feel like there's just some life transitions i wanted to have kids like i i had no doubt in my mind that i wanted to have kids but i got really morning sick and on that first trip through feeling really sick while your body is having a takeover time Mm -hmm. of other things happening I can remember the feeling that was total loss of control what I mean is not that I I wasn't freaking out I'm saying it was the feeling that you your body was not your own right like and there is a real element of like I am not even I'm not even the one doing this like God is doing this in me and this is for someone else and this is it's like just and I think that that's a beautiful thing and as someone who even wanted that to happen I had a yeah. moment of but you getting the wobbles to, about you it. might have to put your hood up you might yeah, have to yeah. zip and, that coat but I feel like what I mean is marriage is this way motherhood is this way your children leaving the nest is this or way your you, you multiple going to college is yes. this way multiple times in your life there is a transition that is happening to you more than by you like well okay and i was thinking like, actually i was talking to you about this the other day i do think there's a funniness um as well this is sort of i guess related but i tend to I think we seem to think that first you're a baby and then you're a toddler and then you're like in elementary school and then you're in junior high and then you're in high school and then you're in college and then you're an adult. Uh-huh. And that's just, and then you're just an adult forever. And there are so many transition points yep. from after that where um, I think there's this sort of 
expectation when you're in those younger stretches. There's expectations that you have learned new skills. So you're going mm-hmm. up to the next grade that you're going to be promoted to this next thing that you're changing yeah. locations, whatever. But then all the changes that happen after that can blindside people because, well, I'm just an adult now, you know, like now I'm just in the one and I arrived. Yeah. And it's just sort of, you know, adultishness after that. But I think people hit I think that things might, in that their marriage. That may actually be why it's called the midlife crisis is because yeah. people quit expecting to have to grow and to have to change and be, like, adapting to things. Okay, so when I'm saying there's a bunch of different times, there are different times in your life where it really is like you're just shooting down a tube slide now all of a sudden. Yeah. Right? I think a lot of Christian counseling is like... <laughs> Uh, how to get a really bad, you know, court burn on your way down. <laughs> how to how to sit up on the tube so that you basically shave the top of your head off in the in the tunnel on your way down. Like when you're becoming a mother, how to make this really miserable, or how to fling a leg out so that it'll get jammed. <laughs> it's an amazing. Yep. Didn't I? What was, I suddenly it's coming back to me about getting all the limbs in the wagon. It's yes, I use that analogy. Yeah. Maybe I always feel like I'm screaming down a no, precipice. But it is, it's true that but, you can, you can chap all the skin off your elbows right. if you want to. Well, because in that moment, even though I wanted to be a mother in that moment where I felt really overwhelmed that my body was like being taken away off to sure. be ill. Yeah. <laughs> like for a prolonged period and nothing felt normal plus your mm-hmm. hormonal so that'll just give you an extra treat on top of it yeah. all and in that moment you can decide to lean into what's chafing you right like yes. you can decide to be like okay or this is why I said I think it comes down to the heart of the Christian life you die to yourself like yeah. or or instead of Instead of being like, let's really see how bad of a blister I can get on this. <laughs> Instead, you think, or, or, you know, follow me closely. Maybe I give up my own. Maybe I die to myself because of what I believe. No, but here's the thing, Rachel. If you die to yourself, then you don't have yourself to treasure up. That's, the, that's <laughs> and, and what we, we love, don't. <laughs> and we love our blisters more than we love our life in no, Christ. The thing is, is I think he who wants to save his life will lose it. And this yeah, is always so the gospel that. truth. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. And I know that that's talking about the macro picture. But we'll in the it, Christian right? life, there it's always the way to the front of the line is to go to the back. Yep. It's always the way up is down. And to die to yourself is joy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like it actually isn't. And then I guess I'll just be miserable. It's well, like, no. 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 And actually the reality is that to die to yourself is the way to bypass the blisters and the jammed legs. and the. Yeah. I mean, it is the way to receive as a great gift from God something that you could have made into a great pain. Well, and it's noticeable how much the Bible talks about putting others first mm. and how much Almost we as if it would be something we needed to think consider about. Consider others as more important than yourself. And it's mm-hmm. that is um, something we don't like at all these days. No. And, and when I was saying, when I was saying this about women always trying to come alongside to make everyone feel better about okay. themselves, but... But that's because we think it sounds mean 
to say, you know what you've got to do? You've got to die to yourself and live mm-hmm. to Christ. Like, yeah. this is the moment where what you're actually being is monumentally self-centered. Like, where, yeah. and nobody wants to be the friend that says that because everybody likes the idea of being the friend who rubs the back and comforts and gives a hug and makes everyone feel better. And empathizes. That's like, we think that that's how we really strengthen our friends. It's not to say that you have to be rude, but you do have to speak the truth. Well, this is a thing that I say a lot and, but I'll say it again anyways, that I'm done with people acting like talking about Jesus when someone is having a crisis is being too flippant and they say we have to weep with those who weep it's true here's my feeling have you ever known a christian who could go to talk to someone who's in the middle of a grievous trial of some sort who could talk about jesus without weeping with those who weep like it's not like we're supposed to weep separate from our faith with each other and then only when the sun comes out again do we mention (laughs) jesus and i think that that to me that is one of the grossest warpings of what it means to be a christian to be like well we are just supposed to we're just supposed to sympathize with how hard it is to be a new mother of a child and we should just cry with her no it's like don't cry with her take her dinner and and you know, and give her a little. Say, you know what? Hey, you know what? Sport? I would love to help buck you up. What can I do? Yeah, do something practical. That's great. But sitting around commiserating with, but even the doing something practical, I think that that's that's wonderful. I'm in no way opposed to helping people out practically, but I think that we've really done a little magic trick on ourselves of thinking that uh, we can fix things. Without the woman herself receiving it from God. Do you know what I mean? Like, rece- like, oh, like yeah. that you can come alongside and if only she could get more babysitting help. If only she could get more time out. If only she could. It's like all of those things are going to be totally useless if she's not willing to lay it all down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just mean that we do like the idea more of sitting around being unhelpful. And, oh, yeah. And oftentimes, you know, you know, it's. If the person has stalled out and is refusing to get out of bed for weeks at a stretch, let's say that's where they are. Uh-huh. Um, you patting their head um, is of no practical use, really. You know, like, uh-huh. and that's what I mean, like, help out, help get them out. Uh-huh. You know, get out the tow rope. <laughs> It's time to help with this because we can't leave you here in the ditch. And most people want to sit down in the ditch Mm-hmm. With them, and feel, and actually feel like they're doing something really deep if they yeah. do that. If they will yeah. uh, come alongside in that way. But what I okay, so here's what I was thinking. So say, at, like in my phase of life and your phase, and I think you're just a little further on in it than I am. I feel like so I've had opportunities to die to myself, and then you get to a life where you feel pretty comfortable. Like you get, you're like, though this is what I do. This is how it goes. Well, then all of a sudden sooner than you think your children are graduating from that phase where yeah. you're needed in that way and it's a whole new opportunity to die to yourself mm-hmm. within what and this is a theme I've talked about before but like there will be times in your life where you're doing something that honors God 
and you know that it honors God. Like, you know God gave me this ability so that I would use it this way, and I'm doing this, mm-hmm. and I know it honors God. But then there comes a time where to insist on still doing that would be dishonoring yeah, God. for sure. And so the exact same activity yeah. that was glorifying him in one phase of your life yes. is not in another. Yeah. And, and that that is really hard for people to get their head around. So when your little kids are little and you're like glorifying God by reading them a story in the afternoon and making them tea sandwiches or something, and, and it's great, would not be glorifying God fast forward years where you're oppressing your children by trying to force them into having a, a tea sandwich mm-hmm. in the afternoon while you read them mm-hmm. something. Like the exact same activity changes with time to be right. not the same activity anymore. Yeah. And that's what I think is interesting. It's like, how can you, you know, in one phase be doing something that's great. And this is how I think people lock down. And this is how I be faithful mm-hmm. and, and start making it a summary of how you pack lunches and how you do laundry and how you like, my faithfulness is and then a specific list of things instead of a constant response to the life that that God has given us well which is what we've talked about before the difference between parenting and logistics because Mm -hmm. the logistics are necessary but they serve a bigger purpose and Uh when you forget the bigger purpose and get bogged down simply in logistics then then uh, you've really gone off the road because those logistics have to always change in service to the bigger thing. Mm-hmm. So I think people can um, can do this when they continue to say correct their children the same way when they're 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 yeah. as they did when they were three, four, and mm-hmm. five, you know, like you continue to be a critical parent or you're like weirdly instance. patronizing to a teenager when you should be showing or them you're sharing their foibles. sin problems with your friends. When you're sharing mm-hmm. the sin problems of your three-year-old with your friends, that's very different than sharing your 18 year old's sin problems with right. your friends. And, um, yeah, so the same the same activity is very different depending on the context. But we can get so stuck in our little logistics framework that we don't remember what it was there for in the first yeah, place. Yeah, we totally can. And I think it's just a really, I think it's a really bizarre, uh, like, like we have, I've told this story too where I went to check in at the hospital sometime with, Moses, I think, when I was going to have him and the nurse doing some new paperwork. It was the only time I had heard this. was like, you have a right to a completely pain-free birth experience. (laughs) And I just sat there looking at her like, I was like, pretty sure I I don't have that right. Do (laughs) I have that? uh, Yeah. I I actually don't. Like, I'd be willing to say that's not one of my rights as a person. (laughs) And, um... It's kind of like you have a right to have a fingernail that never breaks. <laughs> it's like, do I? I I don't know that I do have that. But I think we live in a world that wants us to believe that that you can avoid all kinds of like you can avoid the difficulties of um, well, that's responsibility. What I, I think what or, I mean is we. It's like we say we have a right to sunshine every day. 
mm-hmm. and 73 degrees. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, we don't. Those and are beautiful. Hair. Those are beautiful days. But mm-hmm. when it's not that out, you've got to adapt yourself to the situation right. rather than expecting the situation to adapt itself to what you're wearing. Your expectations. You're going to have to be ready to encounter it. And so you have to prepare and you have to be uh-huh. um, sensible and you have to know what you're getting into and, and pivot quickly when you realize it's not what you thought you were getting into and was just we just did in the Bible reading challenge to this morning was Esther. Yes. Which is just a really edifying in all the ways. So Quite good. So good. Yeah. But you just think about what did Esther have a right to? Mm-hmm. Like God exalted her much. You know what I mean? Like like she she is a woman worthy of great honor, but her actual rights were incredibly uh, imposed upon. <laughs> like, like, you know, and yeah. when and even when Mordecai is telling her to, where he's like, basically, you're gonna die. Like, don't think you'd be spared. When he's like, don't think you'd be spared. God can spare us some other way, but kind of like. But if you don't do this, you won't be spared. And she's like, think of asking that many people to fast and pray because you're going to go do a very scary thing. Like a tremendously scary thing with huge risks. No matter, like if you fail, it's huge risks. Like everyone you know and love will be killed. And if you fail another way, it's for sure you're going to be beheaded. And if you fail, I mean, really... That was not a situation that we would think would be, like, uh, Esther's best thriving opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we really feel like she yeah. should... How can she bloom more <laughs> more uh, freely? How could yeah. Esther have bloomed more freely? Like, But she was a woman who faithfully carried a huge responsibility and a huge yeah. obligation. And I think I just say that because I was thinking about that we don't admire that anymore but if we if we did culturally Mm -hmm. admire that we would see our small opportunities to carry a responsibility bravely. I also think the the agenda to get us to not admire Mm -hmm. that is in large part responsible for where we are as a culture now Mm -hmm. and so it's like if we want to combat the very obvious wickedness of our moment. We have to recapture the idea that it it requires everybody doing their duty in sync. Like, how does an army win? It's Mm -hmm. everybody standing in the place where they're supposed to stand, not running away, and doing the job that they are assigned to do. And it's when you have that happening that you can actually overcome but as long as everybody is wandering off from their assigned space because they didn't like it very much and it was kind of hard and it's sort of difficult Mm -hmm. well yeah you're gonna get conquered immediately and so I think that we have to really recover the sense that when you're being obedient at home in your life doing the things God has assigned to you that is you staying in your assigned place and you are doing what you're supposed to do and the nobility of obedience yes and and just think like i don't know how god's going to use this but i do know what he's asked of me and so i'm going to stand right here and i think doing my duty i'm doing i'm gonna do it 
gladly and willingly. Yeah. And not your duty might be to be an actual warm and affectionate wife to your husband. It might be to or it be might willing be, to have children. It might children. be to feel like you're falling off a cliff when you just had your first baby. And to still trust the Lord with that. Like to yeah. trust the Lord that he knows what he's doing here. Right. And don't you be a, you know, monster diva about right the difficulties. And, and I do think we just need to get a little bit more, um, I don't know, emotional strength as a people group. Because um, I think that that is a huge part of the fuel to the big dumpster fire is lack of emotional control anywhere in our country. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of lack of emotional control going on. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. I think it's just as a, it is a good thing to think about where are the trigger points in your own life where you are being emotionally uh, too available kind of. Mm -hmm. There was some illustration my husband used to use with our kids. Uh, it was uh, talking about their emotions being like a stack of blocks somewhere and he was like you must keep it like you cannot be building this out all the time in places where if someone just walks by it falls over like <laughs> like your job is to fortify it fortify the situation <laughs> and not yeah. to or he would say uh he would compare it to riding a wobbly bike because that was when yeah. our first had just learned to ride a bike and it felt very wobbly yeah. on the bike. And he was saying, you know, it can feel wobbly, but it is like, it is your point just being, don't put your emotions all stacked out in a weird teetering thing at the front door so that when your husband <laughs> comes in and doesn't make eye contact with you right away, there they all go and you've, <laughs> and you've blown the evening with an emotional yeah. drama or if you have just take care of it quickly pull it back confess together it. confess but it i would say also just like look around you with like what are the things that you're being this way about one of those one of those things is like i had a real transition in my own life whenever it was years ago where i realized i was never going to be done with the laundry which was mm, really yeah. strangely Freeing. An important thing that I needed to notice. <laughs> and I really wonder why it took me so long to yeah. notice it. I think I just kept questing. I, you know, and the laundry should be obvious because you're always wearing the clothes. Yeah. So there's never, yeah. you're always brewing up the next batch of laundry yeah. no matter what you do. But the moment where I realized, actually this is more about me faithfully always doing it yeah. than it is about trying to get it done. And I think that there are some places where we need to just have that reality check with ourselves. Like, are you a mother who genuinely, like, sighs to yourself whenever your baby has a dirty diaper? Mm, yeah. Like, where it's like, <sighs> poor me, this happened again. Instead yeah. of like, well, obviously it did. You know, like, this is, or things that are recurring do you know what I mean? Like, these are recurring obstacles. Are you letting that be something that you take personally? Or are there things that you avoid because they're hard, but you actually know that they're your duty? You know? Like, I don't cook for my family because I don't really... I don't like it. Like it. Or I don't actually 
try to keep anything clean or nice or attractive at home because I don't enjoy it. It's not the kind of person I am. It doesn't bring me joy. Or I am not actually willing to homeschool my kids because that would be hard. I remember a woman saying one time, and it was very funny in the context because it was actually in in a... The woman who said it was like a advice columnist. Okay. So that just made it funnier to me. Mm-hmm. Memorable. Just spelling it out for people. Like, listen, I'm not the kind of person who cares if my socks are matched or not. Mm. And I don't care. But my husband does. So I just explained to him that I don't care. So <laughs> he's going to have to match his own socks if he thinks it would be nice. <laughs> drawn in our in the sand <laughs> is it if I, I don't enjoy matching a sock it's not happening <laughs> I know or but but I'm just thinking like on the educating your kids it's sort of like well my kids are all in public school but if I if I had to try to give them a Christian education it would either be really expensive or it would take a lot of my time and I just I can't have that happen. it's not a cost I'm willing to consider you know yeah. like it's yeah sort of there are a lot of duties out there mm-hmm. that I think that we understand. I was just talking to my way. kids about this, about the the tragedy of, like, this. It is like kind of a noble tragedy, but how many people came to America when they were being persecuted or really in major times of crisis, mm-hmm. but who were leaving major family history. And, like, beautiful homes or land Mm -hmm. that they loved or places where they had roots. It wasn't like they were all poverty-stricken. Yeah. They left, you know, how many people fled, you know, during World War II, got out. How many people got out before all of their beautiful inheritance was ransacked by somebody, you know. But my point was, that's a really hard decision for people. To actually cut it, like, it's a tragic nobility to be like, we're leaving this to go. But that's a real cost. You can think of it just as being like, oh, it's a mess on that end, so we're going to, you know, like, oh, things are really rough there, so we're going to go where it's better. But how many people had to go where they would be going to so much less than what they had, and yet they had to make that decision and do it anyways. Yeah. I don't know why I just brought that up. I think it's nobility. It just mean the idea that we don't have big imaginations about what we're doing being worth what we're doing. You know, like we yeah. just end up being thwarted and oppressed all the time <laughs> by things that should have been foreseeable. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, this well. This is true. So my point here is really if you're on one of the high speed slip and slide times... Just embrace it and die to yourself. Okay, so I have something here which is sort of connected to that. But on uh, Ben and I just got back to town last night late, and I always just try and find something to read, you know, on the plane, something fun while I'm on my trip. And wow, I was not ready for the shock and awe of what I got. I (laughs) so I get this this book about gardens and I promise you this is going somewhere that's connected okay 
I've, the I'm story, prepared. It's the story of this garden that is like um, one of the most famous in England. And it's sort of multi-generational. So the woman who made it famous in the early part of the 20th century was Vita Sackville West. And this is a book written by her grandson's wife who lives in this same castle and is a gardener and stuff. So it's like the sort of layered mm -hmm. story of this garden and and it looked like it was on gardening. Like it was the yeah, you know, how she put mm -hmm. it together and I I you know, like her preview previewed it and it had a ton of like actual varieties and things. Yeah. You know, it was like, "Ooh, that's fun." So I I get that. And I'm reading it on my phone. Oh my gosh, Rachel. This woman, Vita Sackville West, who made this garden. And I knew her name, so it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I should, yeah. that'll be fun. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> I mean, she's married to this guy, and she was, like, very aristocratic. So, you know, pictures of her as a child when the king came to tea, you know, out on the lawn. Here I am with the king, that sort of a thing. She marries this guy. They have two children. She proceeds to have multiple lesbian affairs, one with Virginia Woolf, oh. etc. So I think a room of, of one's own is actually in some way uh, regarding Vita Sackle West. Her husband, mean the while, having multiple homosexual affairs. Perfect. So this is what's going forth here. And you're like, what have I signed up for now? Like, <laughs> this was not what I thought I was going to find in the gardening book. But it was just kind of a by the way. It was just sort of like setting the stage for yeah. what kind of a woman she was and everything. And and it's told kind of from the perspective of like live and let live. Were, well, yeah, you know, this is this is who they were and how they handled things. Um, and at one point, she and one of her lesbian lovers like jet away to France. This ties into your earlier point. They had made a vow that neither of them would sleep with their husbands. And then oh. one of them thought perhaps the other one was not keeping her end of the deal or something. Anyway, they zip forth to France. Their husbands chase them in a two-seater airplane. Like, what? What? I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is insanity. But anyhow, so that this is all happening around like World War One. This depravity mm -hmm. central. Okay. But here's what I'm trying to say. Her worldview came out in that garden absolutely consistently. And the woman writing it is fully able to connect those dots. It's kind of like she was in full rebellion against the structure of the Edwardian mm -hmm. life. So it was like the Edwardian gardens had been very proper and very clipped and very structured. And, and she was, she was throwing off all of this. And so her garden was this kind of like packed with tons of unpruned roses and things, you know, like it was this very yeah. over the top kind of, and, um, and it looks lovely. It looks like there are some beautiful things about that yeah. garden. But what I'm saying is both she and the woman who was putting together this kind of memoir of this garden are able to connect the dots between what you believe about the right. world in your, in your and sort how of you work that fundamental out commitments. Your... And then how does it come out even in your garden? Mm -hmm. And it was making me realize that the secularists have no problem doing this. And I wish we could get the Christians to have as much of a commitment right. to like, I am a Christian wife. What do I believe about the world? And how can I show that in 
everything. And how even can I in my right. garden? Even how can I my, connect the dots of what I believe to what I put my hands to, to and how I, I invest in this? Exactly. And and so this is to poach this thought from my husband, um, who was um, presenting something the other day, and I was really struck by this. He was pointing out um, that the secularists are post-millennial and paedo-baptist like they absolutely mm. are because the, he was quoting um obama had the quote from martin luther king where he says the arc of history is long but it bends towards justice but the plot points that he is charting on there are seneca falls to yeah. and down to stonewall and the gay riots there and so mm -hmm. forth so it's like the arc of history is long but it bends towards justice like we are going to win and we are going to get our thing done and we're going to conquer this world and we're going to push our yeah. agenda they have this post millennial take and they have absolutely no problem grabbing the children from the time they yeah. are tiny and catechizing them like this is who you are these are your people and you are coming with us and it is like and they can they can connect the dots between their worldview and everything they put their hands to even if it is something even if as it innocuous. Is, even if it's like, I am going to have genes that already have holes in right. them. Right, right. It's because. Because Because Vivian, the fabric of society no, is that's what being broken. Vivian Westwood said she tore the clothes apart. She's the one who invented pre-ripped clothing. Mm -hmm. She said she tore the clothes to show that she wanted to tear apart society. She was totally totally yeah. aware of what her agenda mm -hmm. was and what she was doing. And so I just wish we could get Christians to be as self-conscious about how can I connect what I believe about the world mm -hmm. to everything that I do down to the details. And, you know... Well, I just want to say, harking back to all of this, one of the things that is often the problem and the hitch for women is that they feel like they're being somehow confined by marriage, confined by motherhood or yeah. confined. And what you just said is a great way of saying like that, let that be your goal to, to know God, to honor God, to glorify God and to do it in the little domain that he has put you in to try to do your best to reflect what you know of him and how you set your table and in how you right. feed your children and in how you, you know, don't freak out about little details because right. you know the kind of God you serve. Right. So is your house going to be joyful or is it going to be and, uptight? And, and if your kids wrote a retrospective on yeah. what our childhood felt like and what that meant about God, right? what would it be? Would what it be would like their takeaway be? It was always shrill and dark. What if it was like nobody could step mom out of line? hated it when we turn the lights on yeah. and the biggest concern at dinner is that we didn't spill anything right. or make noise. And they'd be like, that was because we believe God is, I mean, like yeah. think about it in terms of someone actually telling their story and what it meant about your faith, because yeah. you're a character in a story and you yeah. think about who knows? I mean, it's a, there's a little bit of trepidation goes into imagining your kids trying to explain, here's what our life was like. Oh, I know. But you <laughs> just me want tell it you. to be like, what kind of God do you serve? And then how can you show that in your home? Like, it should be joyful and not... exuberant and overflowing and grateful mm -hmm. and cheerful. 
and not a lot of sitting around with a sulky face nursing your wounds. Or feeling just sorry for yourself 24-7 instead of, like, that's a really hard thing for kids to grow up in. It is hard. That is an ugly, hard story of the world. And Mm -hmm. so it's like just that idea of trying to see your home and your life from someone else's perspective. Mm -hmm. Or how about from your husband's perspective? When he leaves and goes out and works all day, when he comes home, what is it that he comes home to? Right. Is it mom's barrage of complaints about the day? And at last... Hopefully it's going to be... The sort of place that more often and not is like, oh, I'm so glad I'm back. Exactly. Instead like, of, oh, here we go. <laughs> like, and like, how soon can I sneak away to get long, together with the guys? How long can I sit in the car in the driveway before I have to go in there? Uh-huh. Or, uh-huh. And when I do go in there, even... I will say this, as a person who has, through many years, been the one on guard in a very raucous and noisy home. Coming home for Luke has never been the experience of coming in and to a quiet putting your feet up in your slippers with the newspaper that we have missed the mark if that was our goal. (laughs) But he would tell me your job like when I come home I want children who have been well disciplined and are happy. Like mm-hmm. that, and so it might have been loud and raucous, but it was happy, right? Yeah. Like that. Well, I'm not saying every time it was happy, but we that's what our goal was. Like yeah. the goal is that the house might be rowdy, mm-hmm. but it will be happy. And yeah, actually, but, but you also <laughs> have to take your own husband into account, not Rachel's husband, you know. So the thing well, is. I, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> because you don't, you don't want to be, um adapting all of your lifestyle to someone who doesn't actually live there. You know, like you want it to not, actually but be I don't fun think... for your husband to come home and you right. know your husband. Yes. And it's also though I would yes. Cuz you don't want it to be that he cares about matching socks so you just explain to him that you don't. <laughs> right, but I my meant that I think that was more a factor of the fact that we had seven children and exactly. a dog that yeah. was not exactly. that not that I was saying kids dad's going to be home soon. Be as loud as possible. No, but I'm just saying that, like, what's what makes a pleasant home for one man is not the same yeah, as yeah. a different man. Totally. And it's very important that you pick the right one when you're aiming. Choose your own husband. <laughs> Choose your own husband as you think about that. <laughs> All right. I think we've gone overboard, haven't we? Do you have a tip? Uh, do I? Yeah, oh, I have a tip. I Okay, last week we, we talked about books and we got a bunch of questions and comments about what about picture books like what about the younger because we talked mostly older books on that podcast okay so i thought for we should give tips on the younger well let's just do that yeah oh yeah starting with board books sandra boynton sandra boynton those are excellent sandra boynton writes board books that are a, a joy to read and connect with children their barnyard dance. Barnyard dances. Stomp your feet, clap your yeah. hands. Everybody ready for a barnyard dance? <laughs> bow, bow to, to the, the horse, bow, bow to the cow. <laughs> Quarrel with the pig chickens. if you know how. Chickens. Cluck with the chicken, spin oh, with it, send yeah. about something. Quack like with the duck. duck spin something, something now. Cluck, cluck, cluck. I'll take a <laughs> something about 
in a patch of clover and all take a bow and, and the, the dance, dance is, is over. over. Yeah, no. <laughs> With See, an oink and a moo yeah. and a cockadoodle do. Yep. So we've done that. We've also, read Sandra Boynton. Of course, Dr. Seuss. You can't not. Dr. Do that. Seuss. Yes. And then, but I would Can say. Can I take a moment to say how much I hate Go Dog Go? Yeah, I don't like that either. Also, I don't like Are You My Mother. Ah, I just get tired of it. So, anyway. Also, Mike Mulligan's steam engine. It's a burden, but we, <laughs> all of the, I don't, I don't, we have that one. I just, whatever. Here's, uh, Beatrix some, Potter. Some it's of course fun, some but are. one we love, Tiki Tiki Tembo is a fun That's kids awesome. book. Ricky Tiki Tabby. Ricky Tiki Tabby, which is a Kipling book. We love that one. But St. George great... and the Dragon is oh, a great one. There's a really good illustrated one of those. Yes. Uh, I would say we like Seven Silly Eaters is a fun one. Um, also... There's one called The Summer Folk that we have Ben's old copy from when he was a kid. Oh, that's fun. I like that one. Um, Seven Silly Eaters. What's that? What? Oh, Bear Snores On is a really fun one. And another one that I super love is uh honey bear by dixie mist it's an old oh, one and i yeah. love that, that was one. the tom wolf recommend yep and i and so we did we love that one so basically these are those are some earlier board book type ones oh brambly hedge is really fun oh, if you have little I girls that one's hedge. primarily beautiful illustrations it's it's yeah. not the stories are no. i don't Neither think much happens in the no. story but the pictures are a wonderful story of yeah. their own so you brambly hedge beatrix is good potter, right? yeah beatrix okay. potter is great um i'm trying to think of the ones that we're always pleased to pull out of somewhere there's a lot of staples like the hairy the dirty dog or whatever there's a lot of those older ones that are just classic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kids books i think the library lion was a fun one okay um yeah well that's a good amount do we have any other any other ones you know that really... I, i'm further away from this phase than you are so the original I... fancy nancy to me was a fun book but after that i couldn't tolerate to hear of fancy nancy the original <laughs> one was like i felt like would have been better as a one-off a one-off book than rather than a lifestyle <laughs> mm -hmm. i um let's think yeah but that's quite a few there's quite a few I'm racking my brains here trying to think if there's any other words. I mean, we have all the classics of, like, Little Bear and Frog and Toad and those, those uh -huh. Winnie the Poohs. Um, the Bread and Jam for Francis kinds of ones. Yeah, we had those. Francis, don't. I discarded the Berenstein Bears from our life. Yeah, They're kind of a dark those. time with the Berenstein Bears. <laughs> um, but, yes, anyways, those are some recommends for younger than what we talked about last time yeah readers but especially sandra boynton really do really do bother with those board books because everybody thinks they're fun mm -hmm. and they it's fun. it's fun to read a board book to a kid who's getting the giggles really hard like the yeah. sandra boynton is that i don't she know how i had a moment where i was like you know what i think this is a really smart woman who wrote this red hat blue hat green hat oops you know <laughs> yellow <laughs> yellow pants red pants whatever oops like this it's a really not elite 
literature, but the way that it just sings to children. <laughs> and I looked her up, and she is like a Yale graduate. She is actually. Oh, really? I was like, I think this woman bent her smarts to pleasing children. <laughs> And, and oh, I just like it. I admire her for that. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. Until next well, time. There you go. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.